Caller Kate. Yes, sir. We uh, meant to do this maybe before your sale, but uh, the night that you were available, I was having a sale, and then, by golly, you got busy with your uh, pre-sale preparation leading up to your sale, and I get it. That This is a hectic week, and uh, it turned out that you had an amazing sale. Could you just give the audience a brief overview about the crowd you brought in and and uh, maybe were any of your better calves went to if you're able to say that but if not we'll we'll just cut that out yeah well it was i mean it was the best sale we had ever had and it was actually the first um sale that was primarily my wife and i um to have the whole financial responsibility for so it was one that was uncharted territory for us and um we were fortunate that we had a lot of bills staring us in the face and it was really good and uh you know I, it was the best sale we'd ever had and um uh, the best in terms of average as well as gross and uh i think it was the second highest showhorn heifer that we'd ever sold for 155 um and it was the highest uh showhorn plus heifer we'd ever sold for 140 and the highest Angus heifer we'd ever sold for 90, and they all got really good homes. So it'll be exciting to big names. Uh, just did a great find. Heard one headed to that awesome Faree family. So, anyways, uh, yeah. just uh, piling right in here. Um, just for those that I mean, I'm sure that 98% of the people listening know the name uh, Kate or whatever. Um, just give the two-minute historical story about, you know, your family's history as well as uh, when and where you met your wife and your your new farm name as yep. well. Yep. Well, I mean, my grandparents uh, started the farm, and it was just, you know, your typical farm then, very multifaceted. They had hogs and chickens and a uh, big feedlot. We fed out a lot of cattle, a lot of row crops. Uh, then when my dad and uncle just showed in 4-H, and, you know, they started primarily focusing on the shorthorns. Then uh, after my uncle got out of college, he and my dad and my, my grandfather uh, decided to get more serious about the shorthorns. Uh, they bought a few herds, small herds, and just started kind of slowly building it up, and uh, it just kind of blossomed. We uh, Growing up, I mean, I started when I was eight, and my family were all really good farmers and really good cattle people, but we didn't have, they didn't have a lot of experience with actual show cattle. So that was something, you know, we kind of just had to learn on the go. Uh, you know, we got our name out there mainly by showing at state fairs. Uh, my summers starting like when I was 12, uh, we would go to five or six state fairs and show all, everything that we'd raised and, you know, slept in the barn and did it the old-fashioned way. But it was it enabled us to get our name out there when um, no one really knew yet who we were until we were able to get genetics that, you know, could compete on the larger level. We've just been blessed that each and every year it's continued to grow and get better and stand the test of time. Uh, no matter how big you are today or Kate's Farms or whoever, uh, you had to start somewhere, and uh, it's all about getting out there and hustling and 
and getting your name out there as well as accumulating some of them genetics that can yeah. bring you to the top. It starts, yeah, it starts off trying to figure out who you can be. And sometimes it was nobody <laughs> when you first started. Through your own junior show career or now as a dad or just throughout your show cattle career, what uh, what is your favorite cow? Probably the the female that did everything uh, was a female that it was CF Margie 119, and she was a little before her time. Um, she was a little more moderate and stouter. Um, she did happen to win uh, Louisville as a big heifer. She won a lot of jackpot shows um, back when, you know, shorthorns were very competitive, and they're starting to be really competitive again at the jackpot level. But that female went on and produced uh, four national champions, and she was bought by uh, Jason Newcomb of Cornerstone Farms, and Autumn Robinson showed her. And uh, luckily, we were able to kind of deal with Jason before he got his program to where it is now, uh, still incorporate and sell a lot of those genetics through our sale. And, you know, of all the cows, you know, that was probably the one that best combined, you know, being a national champion with uh, going on and producing a lot of national champions. Show heifer and cow potential, it sounds like. And yeah. what uh, year time frame would that have been? She was 119, so that would have been 2001. You've had some generational sires uh, within the shorthorn breed. The first one would have been Trump, and uh, we yep. bought. My dad bought a bull called CD. He was a Cunha son out of a dividend cow, and he bought him from uh, Ron Martin in Greenfield. And my dad uh, had you know, known Ron a long time but never really stopped there. And this was a time when the mains, uh, we were influxing a lot of that to make the cattle stouter. And my dad stopped in there and he had a bull calf that was two weeks old. And my dad actually bought uh, Trump's sire when he was two weeks old. And then huh. in the first calf crop that we had, uh, just like we do now, anything that we have that's good goes in the sale. And Trump was in that first calf crop um, and so we put him in our sale, and he brought $7,000, and there was two guys here, um, one from Texas and one from Oklahoma, a guy named W.B. Maples from Texas, and, and Bart Stover. A lot of people probably know the Stover family from Oklahoma. They uh, they were real interested, and they were the runner-up bidder on that bull. Uh, that The bull actually went to a guy and his wife that lived a half an hour from here that had came every year to our sale the night before and ate the meal and never bothered to come back to the sale and buy anything. And we were, you know, we were really surprised that this guy bought him. And he only had six cows, and uh, he told us when he bred his six cows if we wanted to get the bull and use him, uh, we could. And, you know, we did that. And after, you know, the first couple calves came, uh, we knew we had to buy him back. But, you know, it's, there's, you make good decisions, but a lot of this is just, I mean, it's luck and good fortune because, you know, if the other two guys would have um, bought that bull, Kate's Farms, I can safely say, would definitely not be 
where it is today because Trump yeah. kind of changed the breed, and he also did it at a time where most of the bulls that everyone was using uh, were TH carriers, and he was clean, and he was kind of the one bull that added softness and uh, sure. some muscle and some hair uh, that was clean, and so. But that's just you know that's one of those. You know, everyone can give you credit, but it, you know, it's everything has to happen for a reason. Just real briefly about uh, Trump, but like $7,000 for Trump. There was times whenever that bull semen was bringing several thousand dollars of straw. Isn't, isn't that right? Or maybe to, the, to this day. Yeah, uh, it was. I mean, it, he was on the open market for uh, quite a few years. And at that time, we were probably... You know, it was a $50 unit, and we were selling probably $10,000 a unit or $10,000 a year on that bull. But, you know, at that time, he worked. Now, you know, he you could breed him to anything, and he worked on everything because the cattle were big-framed and kind of raw. And uh, now he's in their pedigree five to ten times. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I mean, that that is so true and profound when you say – we all put ourselves in position. We generally know what good livestock looks like, but at the end of the day, you got to get just a little bit lucky from time to time on them on some of these deals. You got to so. get real lucky. And, uh, solution would be the other bull, and um, uh, I know one of the questions you'd sent me was the impact of of John Sullivan, and sure. you know how I met John is a is a good story, and it kind of translates into you know, solution. Uh, the show, we were in Denver, uh, I think it was 2006. And after the show, uh, a man came over and he introduced him to me. And I I didn't know John and just simply asked, would you mind going around and looking at some shorthorn heifer calves with me? And uh, at that time, a guy named Andy Kurtz was helping me he's like hey you probably need to do this so i walked around with john and we he took me to each of kind of the better heifer calves that were getting shown that year one of them was one that uh v8 jim williams had uh there was another one of another farm and about four of them and he'd just say what do you think of her what's good about her what would you change about her and then we went back to our stalls and we had sold a really high dollar heifer that year and uh, she maybe wasn't turning out exactly like I wanted. And he goes, well, what do you think of this one? And I told him, you know, she's, you know, really good looking. She's got a lot of muscle, but she needs more body and she's not sound enough. And he said, it's been very nice meeting you. I will be at your house in two weeks to look at your cat. You know, by me, I guess, giving my evaluation of the other ones and being able to criticize my own, he, he, uh, had enough faith, he came and looked at cattle. And on that trip, I had uh, I'd kind of singled out Solution to be what I thought would be our next bull. And uh, I didn't. I told him I didn't want to sell him, and he uh, he was pretty persuasive. And yes, yes, dad, yes. John Sullivan my... can be very persuasive <laughs> when he wants to be. My dad uh, said, "You know, guys like this." You know, in my experience, a lot of guys come and go, but guys like this come along once in a lifetime. He could change our breed by getting into it. 
and think you need to probably do something with him on that pull. So we did. And, uh, you know, John and I, we got to be really good friends and we talked, you know, if he was getting into it, uh, he'd call me once a week and we'd talk about shorthorns. But John really, uh, you know, he changed the game in the shorthorns. I mean, he just, you know, he upped the level that everyone had to be. Uh, he made the breed better. He made, you have to be, he made me a lot better. I had to get way better at presenting them and, you know, you always need that person no matter what breed you're in that is, um, you know, that drives you and makes you better. And, you know, he bought, he came through and bought pretty much everything I had that was good <laughs> at that time. And, you know, it was a time I just got home from college and wanted to be building. All ages of kids listening to this deal or, or grown adults and, I was fresh out of high school to my memory uh, when John started to go at the the shorthorn breed pretty pretty aggressively, and so that would have been just the turn of the century in the early 2000s, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, you for, were involved with one that he ended up with. Yeah, that uh, DJS Carry 205. Uh, I was a young young punk whippersnapper fitter guy, and oh. might have been 2003 Illinois Beef Expo went to help the Stecks and. And that heifer would have won short ones there, but then ended up wrapping around yeah. and went to Louisville and Denver. But, yeah. uh, I mean, this is your story. I have mine, but coming out of her. How about it? This there year. you go. <laughs> She's one of the best to test the time. <laughs> only thing I told John during his podcast was is I just wish I had been married to my wife at that point because there was probably <laughs> a lot more value. Uh, keeping a uh, quarter between me and Tro- uh, quarter embryo interest in cherries and selling it out for a $20,000 profit, which seemed like an extraordinary amount of yeah. money at the time. <laughs> I get it. So I'm, I'm growing more fond of these cows as time goes on because my wife's uh, kind of the engine that drives our cow-calf operation for sure. So I guess that's a good point to talk about your wife. When and where did you meet her, and how old are your kiddos? How I met my wife was actually kind of an interesting story. I, I'd actually um, judged my wife. Um, I would say I was probably 23 or 4. She was the Miss American Angus Queen, and she also had about 10 head of cattle at this show that she had clipped and fit and did all the work herself. And I, you know, at that time, I I wasn't really looking to get married, but I thought, what a cool girl. And it's neat that she does She's the queen. She does all this work. And then, you know, a few years later um, at Keystone, when I was when I was more in the place and the right place to, you know, pursue her, um, I'd ask around about her. And and uh, we had we were at Keystone and uh, Chad Wilson, of all people, was exhibiting cattle there. And Chad and I grew up together from the time we were eight. He knew her because she had laid over at his place on the way to junior nationals. And he's like, hey, I, I kind of know her. I'll, I'll go over there with you. Well, we had just we had done pretty good in the show that day, and we'd celebrated. We were in the midst of celebrating pretty good. And so I had I had some confidence build up, and I went over, and I felt like, Things were like progressing really well, and we were visiting. And I asked her if she'd like to go out to dinner that evening. And uh, 
she said, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. And she asked where we were going. And there is a, I said, your place. And she looked at me kind of funny and she said, well, in that case, no, I think I'll just go out to dinner with my dad. And, you know, I was kind of puzzled. I thought things were going pretty good. And I walked off. I'm like, man, I remember that being easier. And uh, there was a, you know, a pool hall bar pizza place there that everybody kind of went to um, to hang out. So it was called Your Place. And I I got home and I just started thinking about it. I'm like, man, that went terrible. It's like, maybe I'll just get her number and text her and explain to her exactly what happened. And after that, uh, we got to be best friends over. She thought you were being right, a little yeah, bored with her. Asking to go to your place. Yeah, and she she's not really that way. <laughs> right, right. When I think of Chad Wilson, I think of a lot of things, but I guess I just never thought of him as Mr. Matchmaker. So shout out to Chad Wilson for yep. helping us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's and I can I you know I got good stories about Chad because we tied butt to butt at State Fair all growing up, and at that time. It was Premier Angus, and, uh, I mean, they had the Premier Angus place in the business, and at that time, he had Chan Phillips working for him, and Donnie Robertson working for him, and Worthington, and just so many good people, and, you know, Chad was always into the cattle, just wanted to work on them, and at that time, you know, they had so many people he never really got to, and then my dad... You know, he would take me and drop me off the forehead and say, I'll see you on show day, you sleep in the barn with these guys from our county. And so Chad would come over and help me. And uh, that's kind of how we got to be friends. So. Chad Wilson, for sure, has a passion for the industry. I think he's helping uh, uh, Kurt Schwartz in Kansas right now. And I just bought a half lit main bullock, Schwartz and, uh, and Chad Wilson this spring. So he's still, yeah. I mean, just... Just one of the true, truly energetic people uh, across the industry, and I'm sure uh, if you met him once, you know who he is because he'll make an impact. Yep. On you. So, whenever you were uh, growing up in 4-H and learning how to fit before John Sullivan was pressing you to get better and better and better, uh, were you a guy? I mean, a lot of people have to go to the shows and do it all themselves. But if you had a had to pick a area to work on that while you're dressing your calf were you a back leg guy a front leg guy or a tailhead guy whenever you're getting your calf ready at that time um i kind of was a do it all and do it not very well kind of guy and <laughs> we would we would hire in you know we'd go to those state fairs and then you know we might try to pick up a fitter or two there but um you know i just i had to learn by watching and watching and doing and making mistakes and you know i'm still still learning today but yeah i i mean at this point um i've got a herdsman that's a lot better than me at clipping one i can pretty much just show up at the show with a top that he's already clipped and everybody thinks i'm really good at doing tops but it's just because he's got them clipped good uh kyle shuffler well he was actually kyle was the yeah, Sullivan, best of the barns, herdsman of the year. Not last oh. last year, but the year before. Shout um, out to Kyle. That's awesome. Very talented. 
for people or young kids trying to get started, what advice could you give to a young person that's trying to get started uh, in the cow-calf game or the show cattle game? I think there's a huge opportunity in, you know, in the cattle industry. If Facebook is a pulse. There is, there's nobody in the United States that's not looking to hire good, young, hardworking people to work in their show barn. And, you know, I always, you know, I encourage kids to, you know, do what they want to do and get an education. But, you know, there is a, there's a great need uh, for people that can make a living if you're willing to have work ethic, willing to learn. Um, I mean, those are the two things that I think can take you a long way, no matter if it's show cattle or anything. But... There's so many guys that started off in the wash rack that now manage places and, uh, you know, work for places that judge shows and you know, get to the very top that way. And, you know, not everybody's as fortunate as I was to be born into a family that, um, you know, helped me get to this point. But I, my encouragement would be reach out to, if you have interest, or reach out to someone that you think you know, does a good job and does it the right way and offer to help. I mean, I, to learn how to clip, I would, I mean, I would help anybody anytime. I would scratch for people just so I could watch them clip. But it just takes determination and drive and hard work. And sometimes you got to be willing to be the low man, the middle man to get to be the top man. And I think if you just have enough heart and desire, uh, there's a, so many opportunities in this business that you can definitely get to where you're going or want to go. Couldn't agree with you more. Hard work and determination overcomes uh, a checkbook uh, if you're, you know, trying to win the county fair or whatever. And uh, if you, as you're trying to work your way up the ladder, just hard work and determination and yeah. getting in there and not, not being afraid to be the little man, that will get yeah. you a long, long ways in this deal for sure. So. You can make good money working on show cattle. <laughs> so uh, living there in East Central Indiana, uh, you have some pretty you know, uh, high-profile neighbors, and Brian Gottemiller and Kim Schaefer, um, and I'm sure that all three of you just have fantastic sales. I haven't heard quite as much about Tim's or Brian's yet, but uh, my question would be, uh, do you have any stories about those guys as uh, they were growing up? Yeah, some. I mean, this this whole area is absolutely like a hotbed for you know show cattle and there's so many people that fed off of being in that area but tim actually um started working for me when he was 19 so i know tim real well he lived with me for a while and uh he he and i got very close and we spent lots and lots of hours clipping together and you know we would uh, play one-on-one -on -one poker at night and uh he's a really really good poker player and i'm really terrible and after about the 500th time of getting beat i finally gave up but no tim's a a very good friend and you know we're fortunate that we our kids go to the same school and i mean his you know i don't know that there's anybody right now um you know at the level that he's at as far as just mass producing, um, you know, quality cattle and numbers and, and all that. And I probably got, got some, uh, 
other stories on him, but his his wife is now the superintendent of the school that we go to, so probably don't need to get too far that. in. Yeah. I'll just uh, another shout out to a former guy that you worked with, uh, Jared Boyer worked for y'all for a while, didn't he? Sorry. He did. Yep, he did. Jared, uh, I got good stories on Jared that are. Um, he started buying cattle from us when he was eight years old, and the very first show that he came to was the Junior Nationals in Ohio, and uh, he uh, he started. He came and had two heifers and. That he didn't know that you needed end panels, and he—you could just tell this kid like had it and was into it. And the morning of, he talked to me the night before the show. He's like, "When do you want my heifer?" She was an older heifer. I said, "Man, it'll probably be midday. Like I'll get with you." And at seven, I think we started fitting like fall heifer calves. And he was standing there when I got there with his heifer ready to put her in the chute. <laughs> I said, "Hey." Why don't you take her back and give her some feed and some water, and I'll come get you afterwards. But Jared comes from an amazing family that, I mean, his family, he's a, is a big family, and the work ethic that his parents instilled in all of them is incredible. But Jared Jared was fun. He, he started, he went to Blackhawk and went to Western, and then he started working for me right after that. Then he went back to Blackhawk and coached for a couple of years and then started his, his own deal. So, yeah, I've been very proud to have, you know, some of those guys uh, along with Jay Van Horn um, that, you know, kind of got their start here. And, you know, I tell people I didn't really teach them how to clip or how to fit that much. It was the thing I think they learned here was, that made him successful was the work ethic and I think also how to treat people and customer customer service and so those are the, the things I think they really they they learned here to make them um, successful I mean I think they did learn a lot about structure on cattle because I think that's the one thing that has uh, with limited funds and you know just a family operation, one thing that has kept us uh, able to compete at the level we have. As you could tell, they all had it, and they've made the best of it, and I'm very proud of them. Any unique stories about Brian Gottemiller, another guy that's supposed to be? Yeah. yeah. Brian, uh, I think Brian is only, he's maybe my age or a year older, but we uh, we didn't go to college together or anything, but when I was at Purdue, we had um, some mutual friends that I actually, you know, knew better. Um, one of them was Brandon Hill, and the other one was Matt Williams. You probably know Matt. And uh, there's a couple times that those two stopped in uh, my apartment at college that um, just to hang out when they were out looking at calves, and we'd had a really good time together. And then we used to have some pretty good New Year's parties um, here when we were all a little younger. But uh, Brian, I think after a couple, Drew outlawed him from coming to him anymore. Uh, Drew got a Miller, saintly woman. She's kind of like Michelle Watner. They keep us in yeah. line for sure. Say one thing about Drew Gotta Miller is uh, there's nobody better at winning the Indiana State Fair and all those different species than she is. 
She can get it done. Talk about talk about hard working, and she cleans my teeth. The changes from twenty or thirty years ago to the day uh, within the shorn breed or within the Angus breed or whatever. I mean, just generalities. What do you feel like the prototypical female from the early nineties until today would be? What what if any changes have you seen? In the nineties, it was all about outliers. You know, the cattle were bigger and stouter and freakier. Um, but with that, they had, you know, the cattle were probably more like, you know, they were harder, higher maintenance, you know, bigger birth weight, uh, harder to feed. Um, and I think throughout each and every breed, you know, we've had to make the cattle more moderate, uh, lower birth weight, easier doing. And I think like, in general, we've made the cattle better from a productivity standpoint. Um, with that, I mean, we've lost some of that wow factor. And I think, you know, now I think these cattle are selling so good and so high. And everybody's seeking out those outliers and going back to those freaks and can win. And, you know, it's one of those double-edged swords from a guy that sells show cattle but also has a production herd. Um, you have to produce those kinds if you want to stay in business, but uh, you got to produce those kind that can generate. But anytime you chase a fad too quick or too fast, I think it's dangerous. I think you see that in all species. And uh, just being, you know, a smaller scale, we don't, I mean, we only calve about 120 calves a year, and, you know, we do it all here. I mean, we, breed them here, we cap them out here, and, you know, we we do it all. We kind of tried to stay probably more middle ground. You know, it's nice when you get those outliers that we've, I think, I've played it safe more than anything and just concentrated on structure and not gotten too far one way or another. Are you doing mostly ET work or AI and yeah. several? And then within the ET deal, do you do the in vitro to... You know, or do you do sex semen? We do. It's, uh, you know, just the way that things are going and our market is selling heifer calves, it's, you know, it's 80% uh, IVF heifers. And, I mean, we don't have as big a cow herd as probably what I'd like. I'm currently trying to up uh, my purebred showhorn numbers because we kind of have developed a bull market through um, Derek Jungles and, uh, North Dakota and trying to have a bigger production shorner, but we mainly do IVF and, you know, for us that's what works and for a lot of people that's what works. And I really, the only downfall of, I think, IVF is, and I think you, it translates to every breed is, uh, it's, it's harder and harder to find bulls to use. I think every breed, that's the question everyone's asking each other a lot of times the bulls that everybody's using was the uh was the one ivf that ended up being a bull bingo and i i I don't know i don't know you know how to change it because you have to i mean you've got to pay your bills to support your family but i do think uh there's a place that if you have the ability to uh to try to start generating that next bull i think whoever does it in each breed, 
that is different pedigree but also can still win in show ring, uh, I think those people are going to really excel. As, as technology has advanced, the number of bull calves uh, up for possibility of being the next AI bull or whatever you want to say, uh, there's just probably a large percentage less than there were 20 years ago for sure. And I think everyone continues to try new and different things. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to get it to translate over to what people, you know, want to buy and what wins in the show cattle thing. And it's, I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, experimenting. And it's going to take, it's going to probably take someone that's got uh, more funds than what I have to do more experimenting and have more, you gotta, you're gonna have to have some misses to get a hit. I have heard from Drew Curtis you have some interest in trying to raise a few shorthorn steers or steers in general. Uh, what bulls to you within the shorthorn breed? That would probably be a better question for you because you see a lot more of them than I do, but. Let's say, uh, just a bull that's kind of surfaced this year for purebreds is Old Tom Fire is perfection bull. He's sure doing a, a very high quality job. Yeah. And then uh, we have a bull called DJS Outsider that he works to uh, try to raise show steers as well. Unfortunately, he passed away. So. But that perfection bull, giving Old Tom Fire a shout out. Great job on that one. He's, he's really coming to the top. He, you know, he has. Tom is just kind of stuck to, you know, what he likes and what he does and has had a niche market. And, you know, that actually, um, because the steer market, I, I feel, is really good. Um, and I think there's a need for good shorthorn steers. Um, we, you know, we we started doing a little bit of that. We're not jumping in yet because I just I don't feel like I know quite as much. But I actually will have uh, a couple perfections coming next year out of a cow um, that I bought out of one of our sales. I actually gave half interest um, in that cow to my herdsman and his wife um, as a wedding present. It's an opportunity for him to make a little extra money as a side thing. Uh, We're probably not going to market those cattle through our sale. We're going to sell them first come, first serve, and um, I'll probably end up with a bunch of clubby heifers because I didn't sort the semen for male. But that's just how it works out. But we actually, I just flushed a cow um, to Outsider as well. so, I mean, both those bulls I've used, and you know, we'll just we'll see how they mate on our cows. But it's it's something that there's certainly people out there that are ahead of the game uh, of me on producing those steers. But it's basically just trying to find another avenue to create revenue. And and uh, but I do think I think it's I think it's doable. My daughter will. We'll never show one because uh, she doesn't like when ants and flies die. So she's probably not going to be able to show a stare. Yeah, oh, you're such a soft-hearted old dad. So uh, you're doing good. Um, getting close to the end here. I appreciate you taking this much time with us. Uh, just this is a question that I would ask John Sullivan. Um, just in your opinion, what landmines or what? obstacles does the show industry as a whole uh, need to be aware of or, you know, try to steer clear of, if, in your own opinion, if there are any? You know, I think we touched on a couple, which were, like, 
going too far on a fad, uh, sure. the need to keep producing bulls. Uh, but I think the main thing everyone needs to kind of keep in the back of their mind is, um, you know, we're all kind of in this together. Um, and families, the reason the show cattle business right now is as good as it is, is, you know, people are choosing to put their kids into this business for a, a wholesome way to raise their kids, a way to teach their kids ethics and work ethic and, and, uh, morals. And, you know, I think that, I mean, hey, I, I like to win as much as anybody and, you know, selling show cattle, how my cattle do translates to how they sell as much as anybody. But I think the thing that I see more than anything is we need to probably remember that we're all doing the same thing. And I think people need to have a more positive attitude towards each other um, and, you know, keep ethics in mind and realize what you're going to teach the next generation. And if you can't be happy for the person that wins, then you probably should find something else to do because you don't have to like the one that wins. But that person spent money and worked hard and whether their calf was the best or not, it was to the judge. And I just, I think the attitude of the breed or the industry could just be a shot more positive. My my wife drops my daughter off at school every day and she reminds her, how do you treat people? And it's, she always responds the way you want to be treated. And I think that judges to judge cattle the way they want to be judged. And I think those are God's golden rules that they were followed, I think, would make the whole industry better. Interesting to me how the business has changed where people had to wait a month to get show results in the day of the National Livestock Dinner. Yes. recently had Elvin Miller, yeah. year old Miller on the show. And today yeah. you could be at the backdrop and the whole world knows about your win uh, two minutes later, 30 seconds later on Facebook. Just a pretty amazing uh, the time period that we're living in right now but uh yeah i would say everyone needs to effort towards the golden rule of treat others how you want to be treated for sure i like seeing who wins stuff because i like following you know just how people are doing and what's going on in each breed but i think it's the you know judge's job to know those things but still go into each and every show with an open mind and perspective that you know everybody's got the same chance as you think forward to your family's show career what is one show whether that be a junior national or a denver or louisville or kansas city one show that would be your on the top of your bucket list to get your own kiddo across that well we're uh we're pretty fortunate our daughter likes it but she right now she doesn't even care about winning so I'm going to take advantage of that as long as I can because the longer I can stay uncompetitive against my uh, the people I sell cattle to, the better it is for my business. But we're going to do all bred knowns, and, you know, I would say we're going to do fall-born bred known shorn pluses, and we're going to do fall-born bred known Angus, 
And if she was ever able to win the bread known show of either one of those breeds at the junior nationals, that would be the one that we would be the most proud of. So what's your favorite Angus bull in the year 2022? I mean, our high seller and, uh, probably as a whole, you know, our, our on point bull, um, did us the best job, uh, cool. as a whole. And so we're, we're pretty proud. Uh, we own him with Jake Nickel, and unfortunately that bull passed, and that bull's doing a nice job in Angus. He, he's, uh, if you need to fix structure on an Angus, he'll do about as good a job as any, but, and that's, I mean, with us focusing on structure, that's why that bull, um, has done us a good job. So, I mean, there's a lot of bulls that are doing an awesome job right now in the Angus. I think there's, change your bulls out there you just gotta people get really people get really down on popular bulls you know primo was popular and people got down on him 24 carats popular right now and people are down on him and you just what you got to realize is they both offer a great deal you just got to mate them right and as soon as you start mating them correctly you're going to like the cattle that they produce a lot better People see a new hot bull and just start blanket breeding to everything, and uh, that usually doesn't translate to success. So it is Wednesday night, uh, September 14th, and just as an industry news part of the deal, uh, Primo did pass away today. I saw that earlier on Facebook. So, uh, you know, what a what a phenomenal career he had, but uh, their style and Primo are kind of the bulls that are club calf guy thinks about first but i'm gonna have to give sure. a on point a, a look it's what a shorn plus it's what a shorn plus guy thinks about it's not on primo too right there you go so appreciate your time very much tyler tell your family hello can't wait to see you at the fall majors and uh darn sure appreciate your time it went awesome thanks a lot man i really appreciate it have a good evening thank you you too Bye.